podcast. Well, good morning. So we're going to go on uh, further to the last thing we were talking about. But today, I guess we'll call it uh, Upaka the Ajibaka. But I'm just going to tell a story for, for now. Maybe we won't call it Upaka. We'll talk about him later. Let's just talk about the story that I've been talking about. How, how did Gautama feel? after sitting under that uh, the tree for 30 days. He may have achieved awakening or awareness and understanding. may have been the Tathagata, uh, the one who knows, or, or uh, thus come one, right? Whatever. So he, he's sitting there and he says, that in verse, unspoken in the past, un- unheard before, occurred to me. This is Buddha speaking. He says, enough now with teaching. What? Only with difficulty. I reached. This Dhamma is not easily realized by those overcome with aversion and passion. What is obtruse, subtle, deep, hard to see, going against the flow, those delighting in passion, cloaked, in the mass of darkness, won't see. Right? And it goes on, and and again, I quote, As I reflected thus, my mind inclined to dwelling at ease, not to teaching the Dhamma. So that's what I said in my last podcast. I apologize, some of them I got mixed up. But that he sat there, Awakened, enlightened, free, blissful even in in some arrangements. Yet, not only. But anyways, we'll we'll go on. He felt uh, ill-prepared, unable, or or was it us? Okay, and I'm going to give you uh, my take on this, that Upaka the Ajivaka, or the very first teaching, it's not what he said, but how he was forced to say it, or maybe how he learned to say it. Currently taking a course about um, persuasion, and it's an interesting little thing that they say they've only recently discovered, that the, the human psychology includes a weird little affect where if you try to force someone into something, they'll actually uh, uh, fight back. Because whether or not it is in their benefit, we just have this weird thing. <clears throat> so, here's the Buddha thinking, eh, can't do it. As I've said before, Brahma had to come and convince him to teach. This, again, this is the story, and this is why it's relevant. Because here I sit, having paused... Uh, the Dalai Lama giving teachings on bodhicitta and the 37 practices of a bodhisattva. Talking about the Nalinda tradition, what's shared between Theravadin and, well, he calls it the Pali tradition and the Sanskrit tradition. What's shared, what's different, right? So I want to go back and show how arguably there really is no difference, right? And that... uh, but we're missing the point. So as I said, the Buddha's sitting there and he's like, yeah, I can't do it. I'm not going to be able to teach anybody. No one's going to listen to me. 
So Brahma has to go on and says, and I quote, In the past, there appeared among the Magans, Magadans, Magadans, my apology. Uh, that was actually the area, it was a kingdom at the time, in the area of around Nepal, which uh, was the kingdom uh, that uh, Siddhartha Gautama, right? Uh, Siddhartha, the clan Siddhartha. But I, I digress. So in the past, there appeared among the Magadans, an impure dhamma, devised, devised by the stained. I like that, right? Because we're all stained. Throw open the door to the deathless, right? Stepping off that wheel of becoming. Let them hear the dhamma, the teachings, the truth, the prescription, realized by the stainless one, right? I love how it says that, right? The stainless one, he was among the stained, Yet, simply realizing the truth, he immediately became the stainless one. He didn't have to wash away his stains. Same as the Dhammapada says, how better to cover an evil deed than with a good one. Right? Again, the translation is a little awkward. It's, the idea is how to make up for it, right? So it goes on. Again, Brahma in this case, they say. Just as one standing on a rocky crag might see people... All around below, so intelligent one, with all around vision, ascend the palace fashioned of Dharma, free from sorrow, behold the people, submerged in sorrow, oppressed by birth and aging, rise up, hero, victor in battle, O teacher, wander without debt in the world, teach the Dhamma, O blessed one. There will be those who will understand. And then goes on and says that uh, Tathagata replied to the Brahma such, Open are the doors to the deathless. Right? He's teaching how to step off this wheel of becoming and be free of birth and death and all the suffering uh, it entails. He goes on and says, let those with ears show their conviction. Let them show their conviction. Perceiving trouble, O Brahma, I did not tell people the refined, subtle Dharma. Right? And he goes on and says that Brahma had given him consent to teach the Dharma. He says he bowed down, circling to the right, disappeared right there. So he goes on and says... So the thought occurred to me, to whom should I teach the Dharma first? And he thinks of one of his first teachers, Lord uh, Elera uh, Kelama. Uh, he died seven days ago, he was told, on a great loss, because he said he would have quickly understood the Dharma. And he thought, to whom, again, to whom should I teach the Dharma first? And then again, he thought of another one of his teachers. Teachers, uh, it, you know, gurus, um, sadhus, um, renunciate. In this case, he thinks of his, again, as I said, another one of his teachers prior to his um, giving up aestheticism. He thought of Utaka Ramaputta. He says he's wise, competent, intelligent. 
had little dust in his eyes, right? Again, little of these latent uh, perceptions that, that cloud our, our uh, discernment. He says, he would have quickly understood this Dhamma. And again, he's told that he had passed last night. He's had a great loss, because if he had heard the Dhamma, he would have quickly understood. He goes on again and says, to whom should I teach the Dharma first? Who will quickly understand this Dhamma? And the thought occurred to him, uh, the people he toured India with, they were very helpful to him, that group of five monks who attended to him when he was resolute in his exertion. What if we were to teach them first? Right? Where are they staying now? Right? With the divine eye purified and surpassing the human, he saw that they were staring, uh, staying near Baranasi in the deer park. Right? So here's where the story picks up. So depending on the translation, um, it specifically says that rather than flying to Baranasi, as Buddhists do, he chose to walk. Why did he choose to walk? Because he wanted to run into an Ajivaka named Upaka. So let me just explain this. There's not a lot of information on the internet about this Upaka Ajivaka. In fact, there's not a lot of information on the internet about Ajivaka. Because pretty much lost to history, as it were. Right? So as far as we know, their central belief was that absolutely everything was determined by fate. Hence, human action had no consequence, one way or the other. According to them, each soul's course was like a ball of thread that was unraveling, right? Predestiny pike. Um, right? It says it was open to all. There was no caste discrimination and people of all walks of life joined. Right? Like Jains, the Ajiviks wore no clothes. They live in an aesthetic monk's life in organized groups. They practiced severe austerity, such as lying on nails, going through fires, exposing themselves to extreme weather, and even spending time in large earthen pots for penance. <laughs> That's kind of funny. But you see the root of a lot of these um, tantric practices, possibly. Now, I like this. Buddhist and Jain texts are very critical of the Ajiviks, right? which shows us that they were considered important rivals of both. For instance, Ajivic monks were known to eat very little food, but Buddhists accused them of eating secretly. Jains described a violent quarrel right, uh, between the two. So, again, when you look at the history, you find out that Ajiviks were actually very common at the time. It, arguably, maybe even the, the most common... Um, alternative practice at the time. Again, as I said, lost to history, but at the time that this was written, he was writing on how to teach um, not just regular people, but in particularly, say, these sorts of practitioners. So let's look at the name, Upaka. Upaka, if you look it up, is very specific to this person, uh, as far as a Buddhist context, very specific to this person. But if you look at the word itself, Paka can mean near, join, close, connected. But as it relates specifically to a bhikkhu, it's someone who regularly trods a path for alms. 
And finally, it can also mean um, like anybody, just people as a, a common name, right? Kind of like a Joe Blow kind of idea. Right? So with this context in mind, now we see this Upaka who may be named as any man. Ajivaka uh, was a practice of aestheticism, extreme aestheticism, as I said. I even said in the movie they try to simplify this portion of the story. And I'll go on here. Let me just see if I can find my spot again. All right, so he says, as I said, he wanted to make his way from the place of enlightenment to where his five previous um, buddies were that he toured India with. And I'll quote from, uh, this is from Access to Insight, a website that has the entire Tipitaka. This one, I believe, I won't even mention, I can't really tell you which translation I'm in right now, because there's a number of them, as I said. And it says, Then, having stayed at Irivella as long as I like, I set out to wander by stages to Varanasi. Upaka, the Ajivaka, saw me on the road between Gaia and the place of awakening. And on seeing me, said to me, and on seeing me, said to me, well, that's a little awkward, but this is what uh, Upaka said. Clear, my friend, are your faculties, pure your complexion and bright. On whose account have you gone forth? Who is your teacher? In whose dhamma do you delight? When this was said, I replied to the Apaka. Uh, I, sorry, I, apply, I replied to Apaka the Ajivaka in verses. He said, All vanquishing, all knowing am I with regard to all things, unadhering, all abandoning, released in the ending of craving. Having fully known on my own, to whom should I point as my teacher? I have no teacher, and one like me can't be found. In the world with its devas, I have no counterpart, for I am an arhat in the world. I, the unexcelled teacher, I alone am rightly self-awakened, cooled am I unbound. To set rolling the wheel of Dhamma, I go to the city of Kasi. In a world become blind, I beat the drum of the deathless. And then Upaka says, From your claims, my friend, you must be an infinite conqueror. And Gautama goes on, or Tathagata goes on and says, Conquerors are those like me who have reached fermentation's end. <laughs> fermentation's end, I like that. I've conquered evil qualities. And so, Upaka, I am a conqueror. When this was said, Upaka said, Maybe so, my friend. And shaking his head, taking a side road, he left. Now, before I go on, like I said, you can look up Upaka the Ajivaka on the internet. You won't get very much. What I do find interesting is you will find a quote by some guy named Mark X or something like that. And the quote goes like this, Ah, Buddha! You boastful charlatan. You may have learned nothing after six years of suffering. But then, what of seven years? What of seventeen? 
What might you have learned from a lifetime of pain? From what I can tell, the wisest man in all these scriptures was the first, pu first person Buddha ever tried to teach. An Ajivaka named Upaka. Buddha bragged to him how he achieved nirvana. To which Upaka simply replied, that may be so, and walked away. So on Reddit, here you read it, and you'll see uh, this person's asking for an explanation. And one person says that he wasn't actually trying to teach him. Right? And he's not wrong in that, because Upaka did ask him why, um, why he looked so at peace. Because, again, the story goes that the five monks wanted to, uh, wanted to give him crap when he came, right, having given up his asceticism, but again, having seen this, this peace, um, same as Upaka saw, they saw the truth to his, uh, his understanding. Some people say it was his first failing at teaching, right? As if uh, it was Buddha's uh, mistake. I mean, it does sound like preaching, but keep in mind... This was uh, written down at least a couple hundred years after. Right. So, I want to go on in this, because it goes on, and after he let Tupaka go, there's a story to Tupaka as well. But after he let Tupaka go, he made his way uh, to his five previous friends. Right. And over and over again, his friends say... Right, but that practice, that conduct, that performance of austerities, you did uh, did not attain any superior human states, any distinction in knowledge and vision, vision worthy of a noble one. So how can you now, living in luxury, staying, straying from your exertion, backsliding into abundance, have attained any superior human states, any distinction in knowledge and vision worthy of a noble one? So. This gets lost because, again, so Lepaka is an extreme um, austerity practitioner, right? Uh, again, aestheticism, they're not all the same. So he's practicing absolutely, uh, he's completely naked. Uh, and, and a lot of these uh, sects, interestingly, would uh, paint themselves in the ashes of the dead, right? So the Buddha's already shown us one type of person. Someone who says they're a follower of the path, a practitioner, and they're uh, fervent in their desire for liberation. But just as the monks show that, hey, you spent six years wandering around in these sort of austerities and you didn't achieve any results. So why now are you saying, ooh, living in luxury, have you achieved results? So again, these monks, I think, are to teach us the next step. So first step with Upaka is someone who's a follower, uh, even of extreme austerities, yet doesn't understand, they just don't get it. Because the story goes on and says that Upaka allowed himself to be convinced to marry the daughter of a huntsman. Right? She was kind of a jerk to him uh, because she eventually was disgusted that he wasn't so devout that he allowed himself to be convinced to marry her. 
right? So there's the story there. So again, Upaka wasn't this great um, religious person. It was simply someone who was walking the path, uh, giving lip service, I guess, because as I said, he married this daughter of a huntsman. And they make, they make sure to mention this and make sure to mention that not only did he marry her, they eventually had a child, again, rooting himself once more to the wheel of becoming, but more importantly, her father was a trapper or a huntsman, depending on the translation. It's important because he began to sell what the huntsman trapped. So, not directly causing death, but again, this is one of um, the livelihoods that is... Um, It's not right livelihood, right? Selling, selling the flesh of an animal is, is so. That's what it's teaching you there with Upaka. The next stage are these monks who were very fervent, right? They were practicing uh, austerities, not as extreme, obviously, as the Ajivakas, um, because they may have uh, believed uh, similar to the Jainists in karma. Right or even had some Vedic uh, beliefs still likely. So these are very devout monks, but again, living in duality. So Upaka couldn't see that um, his extreme austerities not only weren't leading him to the liberation he was seeking, but also uh, kept him from seeing um, possibly a true path with the Buddha. Because again, he noticed, hey, wow, you're, you look really happy, bro. Like, what's your secret? And the Buddha goes, well, this is what I've done. And he goes, all right, great. Right? And some of the uh, translations actually say, may it be so, which you could say is a translation of Swaha, right? Which is odd that he kept walking, unless it is this lesson that I'm talking about, that no matter how we convince ourselves that we're listening or we're devout or we're trying to understand or we're working towards um, one particular goal, we are so commonly subject to these dualities. And as I said, Upaka himself um, began to hold it against his wife as well, that she not only convinced him, pulled him off of the path, uh, but also that, you know, she was being really mean to him. And he found himself to be suffering a great deal. And as the story goes, Upaka went and um, after this experience and having a child, went and met with the Buddha and eventually achieved arahantship as well. As did his wife, because again, the lesson... Uh, that she learned was not only was she being selfish because she had this thing for Upaka, uh, but she also pulled him off the path, uh, and then they just all suffered, right? But again, we're missing possibly the important story with the five monks, because over and over again, the Buddha has to tell them that no, I didn't achieve anything from these extreme austerities. And no, I'm not living in luxury. I'm not straying from exertion. I'm not backsliding into abundance. Right? He says, no. 
And here's what he says. He's being subject themselves to birth, seeing the drawbacks of birth, seeking the unborn, unexcelled rest of the yoke, unbinding, reached the unborn. Right? Monks, there are these five strings, and he goes on and talks about, right? Agreeable, pleasing, charming, endearing, fostering desire, enticing, sounds that are agreeable, right? Smells, tastes, right? Is it duality again? is what he's teaching, right? So these monks understood a little better than Upaka. They really were practicing this and, and possibly even achieving some peace. But even they were trapped in duality. So austerities didn't work, but you're telling us now that you've achieved something, so you must have achieved it via hedonism or, as they say, luxuries. But never once... Did any of them even see, and even in that movie that I said they actually say it, the Madhyamaka? And as I said, Madhyamaka, the middle way, is supposed to be a separate division of Mahayana, or, like I said, as the Dalai Lama will say, um, script, uh, Sanskrit tradition. But here is the, the Buddha in arguably the very first turning, or even before the first turning, is trying to teach a middle way. And as I said, even in the movie of uh, the Buddha's life, they, they boiled this down. They didn't have the monks ask him over and over again. He just said the, the way, there's two ways in human life. It's either the way of hedonism or enjoying uh, the pleasures of the senses Right, doesn't have to be extreme of just eating everything and drinking everything. It's it's relishing in the pleasures of everyday life. Then there is the extreme aestheticism, which, like I said, he said doesn't work. And he expounds this principle of Madhyamaka, middle way. And he expounds this idea of the emptiness, the emptiness of your ears, your eyes your nose, right? All the way up to your own consciousness as being empty of any substantial dependent origination, right? Again, something that's supposed to be of the Sanskrit tradition, but is 100% uh, from the very, very beginning. So, I don't know. I guess that's uh, pretty much what I wanted to get to um, in this one is talk a little bit about Aji, Ajivaka, a little bit about Upaka, and then maybe even open up uh, the discussion uh, I'd like to start talking about. I mean, I've shown how a lot of religions share tenants and I find it even funnier now that we have this confusion even within Buddhism between the Mahayana and the Theravadan and I felt guilty to it myself right calling the Theravadan selfish but they're not that's the other thing that the Buddha taught from the very beginning it was his his wish for for to liberate all sentient beings, right? Bodhicitta itself 
is considered a Sanskrit or Mahayanan um, I don't know, affect, <laughs> an idea. But that's what he taught from the very beginning. It's not selfish to achieve liberation for oneself. The only way to help lead other sentient beings to liberation is by achieving it yourself. Just as in this early story, the Buddha said that you won't find another like. Right? That could be read in two ways. You won't find another Buddha because he was the Buddha of the time. But it can also be said there are no two alike. So there are no two paths that are identical. Right? Really, Ajivaka uh, Upaka could have continued uh, walking his uh, path naked, smeared in the ash. But if he practiced, you know, right action and right speech and right intention, then he could have also achieved the same liberation that, that the Buddha had and what he was so uh, impressed by having run into but so that's my take I think uh, the greatest loss to uh, Buddhist history is this teaching to Apaka <laughs>